Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. So he's lived the European dream and traveled a thousand miles from the UK to the very northern tip of Denmark and has made his triumphant return to his homeland. Yes, Four, sir. 404. How you doing, mate? Oh, I'm doing great, you know. Uh, and it ended up being 3,000 miles. That's what it ended up oh, being. Oh, well, I, ju- uh, I was know. just talking one direction, but that's, bro, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was more like a zigzag. I didn't go like direct straight there. But it was a fantastic trip. Um, happy to be back. And I'm sure the listeners are happy to not have to listen to the worst sound quality ever from my various devices. Now I'm on the mic again. So, Oh, buddy. Yeah, I, hear, I hear much worse on much more reputable podcasts. And we're, right, right, right. we're a two-man operation here. I mean, I hear big-time names like former... Uh, Donald Trump advisors that are putting on, you know, radio shows and podcasts with full production teams that I, I just, I listen to and I can't believe that people are, are paying for it, you know, like ad advertisers and, and then likewise, and, and this is a little bit harsh and I kind of feel guilty, but people are actually paying the, the producers to have things where like the the host can't even hear the guest they just has to kind of like look to somebody that can actually it's yeah it's it's a mess and what you offered was far from the worst and and even then i mean calling from the coffee shop like i told you off the mic it's it's a little bit uh i don't know i like it I liked it. It's, uh, I guess people could find it distracting, but it's just, I, to me, it makes it more real. You hear the plates clinking yeah. in the background and people talking and, and sure I get it. It, it, it could be distracting, but it kind of puts you there. And, uh, yeah, I agree. I think one of the things that really fucks me off with a lot of journalistic uh, podcasts, especially since they have the budget for, you know, a studio and like an audio editor that would go through and make sure the levels were good and stuff like that is when uh, an outfit like that, like uh, the Independent or the Evening Standard, that you know, they do some half decent political podcasts and their audio just sucks and they have mics, but they just don't do any editing to level out. So when you listen to it, you're constantly you know, putting the volume up and down and there's no compression, there's no nothing. So that just really irritates me just, just from the bat. And, uh, one thing know. that gets me with the, um, the rest is politics podcast. Oh yes. Is, uh, that guy, I, I believe it's Alistair. Yeah. Alistair Campbell. He, uh, he needs a DSer on his, on his microphone. <laughs> really, yeah, does, really actually, bad. Yeah. Like his S's are like just mind piercing i i'll listen to it in the bathroom and it's just yeah it's it's uh dude it's uh yeah it's horrific and and they have no excuse because they're 
under the they're under the I think the footballer network or something. So they actually have like they actually have like production shit. Well, on. it is. I, so mean, I, I don't know what that's. I I do want to give them a little bit of grace on the matter because it sounds like they're both traveling fairly frequently. Yeah, yeah and doing like it's. I mean, that's and that's cool. Like I uh, I have. I have designs on potentially doing some interviews in the near future. And I, I hope you're available to join me, but the, uh, you know, scheduling is, is always a pain trying to get everybody in the same place at the same time to do anything. I mean, even, even trying to get people to do anything in, in general, I mean, going back to my, days as a musician trying to sell tickets to my shows like hey a ticket's only five bucks please come please come you, you you don't even have to pay for the ticket i'll pay for the ticket just please please come please show up no no can't do it busy gotta hang out with my friends and drink beer can't can't be going <laughs> to support garage bands and that's one of the things actually that makes me really curious about all of I mean man because you know like we can't even like it's hard to get people to share this podcast oh yeah for even, though, real. even though we we bring it up every I mean it's in there automated our our lovely British AI that <laughs> that does the voiceover for the for the the musical intro tells people to share it but it's perplexing to see thousands and thousands of people out in the streets protesting knowing from personal experience that it's damn near impossible to get people to do anything i mean even if it's for oh, a good yeah. cause much less something so dangerous and so controversial and then like you see things i mean i've i've gone i mean this is totally you know it, it, incredible in the most literal definition Somebody posted online this, uh, like, a, a Craigslist posting. You know what Craigslist is? I do, yeah. I don't think we have it here in, in Europe, but I know what it is. It's like a, is it like a classified Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And uh, so someone posted a picture of a Craigslist post looking for uh, actors and then you read through the post and you realize that they're looking for actors to pay to go and protest. So basically paid protesters. Oh, that's so interesting. And, but like I said, this is all, I, I don't know. I, I can't say this is, this is legit. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't hitch my horse to this cart. But it's not unbelievable, is it? No, no. And actually, I know that they use actors in focus groups, too, sometimes, if they need, like, a token person from a certain, like, opinion. Right? So, I mean, so that just further reinforces the likelihood that at least some of these... I mean, and, and think about it, too. If, if they hire five actors and say, uh, oh, yeah, and you can bring... Uh, just bring five of your five of your closest actor friends that want in too. And then suddenly 
if you're the person responding to this ad, you think, oh, wow, not only do I get this gig, but I also get the clout of hooking up five of my buddies to come and yeah, also sure. participate in, in the gig. Because there's, there's so many things that happen that go unprotested that make me think, well, why, why is this thing, why are people so much more passionate in, in this country for Hamas and Israel, but nobody was taking to the streets for uh, vaccine mandates. I actually suspected um, because, you know, 2020, all the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots were, were going on at the same time that we were all locked in our houses and, you know, forced yeah, yeah. to mask up and sterilize our groceries, etc. Then the riots and the big protests started happening and they were being framed as this George Floyd protest. And I was watching these protests thinking to myself, it doesn't, they, these crowds aren't saying anything about George Floyd. How can I, how am I supposed to believe that these protests that are being framed as George Floyd protests aren't really protests against this COVID tyranny? But it's, it's, I mean, I didn't even plan to take us in this direction. It's just a happy coincidence. There was uh, recently Derek Chauvin. He was the police officer that knelt on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes. He recently appealed the court decision, you know, his, his sentencing and his charging. Because it's, it was revealed, I mean, now almost four years later, that George Floyd actually didn't, his death wasn't caused by any kind of neck trauma or anything related to Derek Chauvin actually kneeling on his neck, but it was a drug overdose and and, Oh, a drug overdose. Yeah. Chemicals in his system. They say he had enough fentanyl in his system to kill, you know, however many people more than one, I guess is all you really need to know. Yeah. Where, where did you, Go ahead. He he died he died of the drug overdose and not the strength like like not the lack of air. Right. That Wait, is, what? That, that is, is the gen that is the genuine assessment of the cor- coroners? Yeah. That kind of throws out the whole argument then. So I now I feel so where where did you come down? Were you were you a George Floyd supporter or or did you even have an opinion? Uh, I mean, in my typical style, I, you know, I don't usually like to get involved in these kind of things because... Well, you, well, well we're journalists, it, right? Yeah, it's Some like... Some more than others. Know, <laughs> all, all I can... Yeah, like, all I can do is observe and go, this happened or it didn't happen or, or you know, you observe people's reactions to what happens. Um, you know, my personal belief was that if I had to take a side on this, um, would be probably that the force used was a bit excessive. Sure. That's where I came down to. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly where um, I came down because yeah. I thought it doesn't matter if he was a criminal or he was on a bunch of drugs or, yeah, or sure. whatever. Like the dude kneeled on his neck for nine minutes. <laughs> like that's not. Yeah, like I, mean, I, 
I put myself in that situation. Like, would I want a police officer to kneel on my neck for nine minutes rather than like put the cuffs on me and put me in the back of the, you know, I would rather my freedoms be like significantly, you know, eroded than like death. So, you know, and this, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm not trying to say, and I don't think you are either that George Floyd was a good guy. No, no. But the thing is, the police officers, who do they deal with? 90% of the time out. They deal with criminals. They can't just go out and kill the guy and be like, ah, well, he was a criminal, so I'm justified. I'm, I have immunity because, I mean, and, and of course, Derek Chauvin didn't get immunity. But now we're learning that his actions didn't actually result in the death of George Floyd. But... I don't know. How how the fuck do they argue that? Yeah, I I just I want I want to know. I want to know, like, how they came to that conclusion. Like, if he hadn't been kneeling on his neck, the guy would have just walked away and then died later from the drugs. Yeah, I mean, the the quote that I keep hearing is uh, that there was no. No evidence of neck trauma that would have led to his death. And he was I mean, it has been reported. That he was, you know, saying. I can't breathe, you know, get me out of the, get me out of this car. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And, and this was all because apparently, allegedly he was overdosing on fentanyl. Right. So do you think they ought to let George Floyd out of, or uh, Derek Chauvin out of prison? Well, I mean, if, if this is true, then for sure the charges need to be changed because the situation has changed. Um, we can make an argument that he used, you know, excessive force. And there's definitely an argument to, to, to say that if he hadn't have been in that situation, would that guy have lived? Like, it doesn't matter if he overdosed from the drugs. You have to make the argument, if he was not there and George Floyd walked off, would he have died later? Because, like, there's, there's, a, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of factors to, to come in with this, right? You know, it's like the... It's like some of the COVID deaths where someone was like on death's door and then COVID finished them off. And like some people go, well, that isn't a COVID death. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, but ha- if they didn't get COVID, would they have like kept living? So it's, 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 it's like a gray area. So I, agree. I think on the one hand, yeah, for sure, like the sentence needs to be changed and we need to revisit this or the courts need to revisit this. I'm not going to revisit it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think kneeling on some dude's neck for nine minutes, if he gets off on that, like... Surely that just opens the door for all the other police to go, well, I have qualified immunity and I can just kneel on some dude's neck. And maybe you didn't kill George Floyd this time. But for sure, someone's going to kneel on your neck for nine minutes. Someone's going to end up dying. It's a mathematic you know, possibility, right? So. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that Derek Chauvin should go unpunished. No. But his charges should definitely be reassessed. There, there was a, uh, I'm hesitant to get into this because I don't know the details, which... I should probably take as a good indication to not get into it, but (laughs) I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Sure. Let's let's hear it, man. So there was a crazy conspiracy theory. I mean, maybe it's crazy. I didn't look into it too deeply because I, I took the firm position and it was un it, it quickly became unpopular that it didn't matter that George Floyd was a drug addict. It didn't matter that he was uh, a criminal. It was incumbent upon the police officer to behave responsibly. But then information started to trickle out that there was a counterfeiting ring potentially involving 
some of the police officers in the the departments that Derek Chauvin worked with in. And this was what initially it was reported that this is what brought the police to engage with George Floyd is that he got caught slipping a counterfeit bill to a convenience store. And I believe it was, it may have been the head of the police union in. It's always the union. Derek, right? Corrupt ass unions. Who was also somehow involved in the counterfeiting operation. So it was sort of floated out there, this theory that, that it was George Floyd and Derek Chauvin and this head of the, the police union that sort of orchestrated. Basically, they just decided, oh, George Floyd's going to talk. He's getting, too, he's getting too deep into drugs. Now he's trying to, he, he's using these counterfeit bills and getting caught. So we got to get rid of them. It's one of those things. I mean, that's the beauty of conspiracy theories, right? You'll yeah, never you know. Whatever you want. It's just as likely to be true or, or it's, it's just as the truth is provable just as much as the lie is provable. If that makes yeah. sense. Like you, you can't yeah. prove it, but you also can't disprove it. That's my favorite thing about conspiracy theories, really. Yeah, you you you're not wrong. It's uh I just had to take a drink of my coffee. I didn't mean to leave you hanging. <laughs> that's all right. I I what have you got in your coffee today? I've got oat milk today. Oh, heavy cream. And I'm actually using a little Very bit nice. less. I feel like since Halloween, I've put on like 10 pounds. Because I've probably all those mentioned sweets you had before. from uh from the late delivery, right? What's Oh yeah, dude, exa- that's exactly it. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I ate that whole bag to myself. Not oh, not in shit. not in one sitting. Not in one sitting. But I don't think. I mean, you know, because my kids, they all had their bags full of Halloween candy, and right, my yeah. wife isn't like she likes sweets, but she she has a lot more self control than I do. So I'm dialing back my my heavy cream intake. It's just it, it's it's the holidays, and I kind of feel like everybody puts on weight. Of course, you got to put on that winter weight, and then in January, everyone's in the gym and they're they're shedding that shit off. Man, I feel like. Do you ever feel like we have it wrong, as you know the 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 animals that we are as as the human beings? I mean, do you feel like we are the 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 rat race that we're engaged in? Do you feel like that's kind of counter to how we would behaving if we were more organized into smaller tribes hunter gatherers i mean oh for sure i mean if we look at an objective basis you know like there's just shit that we we would do in a hunter gatherer basis that most people don't even think about doing in their daily life right like we'd we'd all be chilling right now like it's it's cold is it is it cold in in the uke (laughs) i laugh every time you say that by the way it's just so good i i I need to start (laughs) using that more but uh yeah it is cold i will just check the the temperature for you right now on our beautiful met office the metropolitan office our uh (laughs) weather reporting system here it is a nice crisp two degrees today um and it's lovely and sunny that's about the same that's about the same as it is here right two degrees celsius that's about 34 Fahrenheit, I think, which is, I think, 
about as warm as it got yesterday. Do you get much snow out that way? Uh, you know what? We, we don't. Um, you know, I've had a few, you know, a few, few years we will get snow maybe for, for a week or two. Uh, but there's, there's, I've got to be honest, like in recent uh, years, it's either been almost like too cold for snow. Like oh, yeah, yeah. It, it just gets, it just gets too cold and it just doesn't snow. Or it's kind of too warm and it just, it just uh, melts away pretty. Uh... But of course, you know, England is very close to, uh, you know, sea level. Right. So it, it takes quite a lot for it to snow a, a whole bunch here, even though we get like crazy rainfall. As you might imagine, is the constant meme that we bear the brunt of and that right. it, and it rains a lot here. We actually have that in common because I, I grew up in the, the Portland area. And, uh, and it's, it's the same story, you know, all, all along the coast in the Northwest U S it's, uh, it's tons of rain all, all the time. And I've been sort of floating the idea out to my wife that maybe we should move somewhere that it doesn't, somewhere where winter doesn't last for six months, (laughs) but she's resistant. And I understand because all, all of her family lives nearby. And uh, that's one of, one of the areas where we differ the most is how important it is to spend time with family. And it's actually, I end up feeling guilty because I don't prioritize it the way that she does. Right, right. But I do miss my family. I do love my family. Yeah. I do I want to see com- them. I think that's fairly common, though. Right, you move away from home. Right. Eventually. And some, some move further away than others do. And some live with their parents until they're 50 and are just kind of waiting. Like, do you, do you know any of those people? Do you know any, oh, yeah, any yeah, people yeah, yeah, that... Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, not even necessarily that, that still live with their parents, but that have... Uh, like, I, I see this a lot in my line of work. The, uh, the, the person has gotten quite old and, right. and they're a bit decrepit and maybe they're having a little bit of trouble taking care of themselves. And then here come the kids, the, the adult oh. children of this, of this elderly individual. And you can just kind of tell, I, 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 I don't want to generalize or stereotype, but you know, you can just kind of tell. This person hasn't arrived to be the benevolent caretaker of their aging parents. They're there more in the capacity to sort of uh, circle the carcass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely like a vulture or something. Exactly. No, for sure. I know, I know people like that. You know, there's, I know people like that. And, and as I keep saying on the podcast every now and again, you know, the ages between like 24 and 35, you know, single guys are going back to live with their parents after being in work and exiting the workplace to go back in with their parents. So I can imagine there's going to be a great deal of people uh, waiting around for their parents to, uh, you know, pop off. Because uh, I can't imagine them wanting to go back into the workforce. It will take extreme willpower, extreme, you know, uh, change of, of mind for someone to do that. You know, someone that's willing to leave the workplace and go back and live with their parents. 
you know, is that person strong enough to like change the way they look at life and go back to the way they were doing it? I don't know, man. I know these people. I don't think they have that ability. I don't think they're strong enough. And it's very sad to say that, but they're just, I don't know. They just, they don't seem like adults to me. As a parent, a, a new parent, but still a parent, I feel yeah. like there's a certain level. <clears throat> so I've been, I've actually struggled with this a little bit because the home that I grew up in was uh, pretty religious, pretty restrictive, uh, uh, oppressive. I would even maybe characterize it in some ways. So I felt like I needed to get out and sort of seize my, my own adult freedom. And when I think about how, what my life is going to be like when, in, in many years, when my kids are about to leave the nest, am I going to be, I mean, I don't even really know myself at this point, but would I be encouraging them to stay as long as they want, as long as they could and sort of extend to them adult freedoms and maybe, you know, charge them rent to live in my basement or something like that. Or, <laughs> or would I push them to be self-sufficient and what's the better option? Like, like what is going to be the most beneficial to me and my child? To sort of have that push to get out there and, and go do it, you know, earn, earn your own living and, and support yourself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if it happens tomorrow, I would say, are you crazy? No, stay, stay here. I'll, I'll up your allowance and, you know, make sure that you can live comfortably until the economy isn't such shit. But also there's an argument to be made for. I mean, because you have to know the parents that are enablers, you know, their, their child is a, is a drug addict, for example. Oh yeah, for sure. And they say, yeah, you can come on, move back in with me and continue to live your life of debauchery. Yeah. And I'm just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know anyone that has engaged in that behavior. No, I know. I know people that have done that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm aware. People, yeah. I'm aware of them. I shouldn't like saying yeah. that I don't know them isn't entirely accurate, but but I am I am aware of them, and I'm aware of what sort of person that behavior by the parents will create. I mean, you you're looking at a uh, what was what was that guy's name from uh, Making a Murderer, Stephen Avery? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I then know you see personally. I got a friend that's like that. You see the pictures of his parents, or like when it gets into the interviews with his parents, you're like, oh, yep, yep. That's those are the ones. Those are the ones that make a murderer. Did you watch that series? I actually did, but so long ago. Same, same. I, when did that? When did that come out? I felt like it, it came out like like something ridiculous, like seven years ago or something. I feel like it was 2018. Be and I, All right, so I wouldn't be far off, like five years. But only, yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's right. I mean, I've got a, this computer right in front of me, so I should probably just look it up. I'm searching it. But I, I remember... Um, 
2015. Wow. Wow, 2015. I was bang on. Fucking seven oh, years. You know what I'm thinking of? Seven so, years. Man. So I was about I was about to explain that I remembered when it came out. Of course, I was wrong, but it was because uh, I was thinking of this meme that came out about Donald Trump and something Donald Trump was doing, and it said uh, release. It, it, but it was the uh, the Tiger documentary. Um. Oh, I, I can't think of the name of that one either. But that was the meme. It was uh, Donald Trump did something atrocious. Quick, release the tiger documentary to distract everyone from that. But what was your initial in in making a murderer? What was your initial assessment of that whole case? Were you God? Okay, so, I mean, just just as a precursor to this, at this time I would have been 16 years old, so my uh, mental ability to really understand and also, you know, think critically of this <laughs> was very much uh, not what it is today. So my initial feeling on it when I was watching it was like, I just can't believe this actually happened, you know, in real life. It's the same and, for me. Um, yeah, and I was like, dude, this could happen to, like, anyone, bro. It could happen to me. Maybe not to me, because I live in the UK, and our police are fucked up, but they're not, like, this fucked up. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. But that's, a, that, that's, that's pretty much the extent of what my 16-year-old brain could probably comprehend at that time. Uh, and I apologize that I can't really go into much more detail than that, because, uh, you know, my brain was very small back then. <laughs> Still developing. Well, I, yeah. I don't remember much about it either except for a few choice little tidbits about uh brendan dassey his his younger stephen avery's younger brother or cousin who was autistic and and was co coerced into uh basically giving a, a false testimony and, and admitting that he did it because the uh the officers that were coercing the confession sort of led him to believe that if he just said that he did it, then he'd be able to leave and go on about his life. So I came out of this film thinking the justice system is totally corrupt. And again, for them, right, still <laughs> for them, it's more about closing the case than it is about actually serving justice. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And then I, I, but I learned later that there was evidence that evidence that was relied on in trial to convict Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey that was not included in this documentary. And I, I didn't, try to debunk it because I mean, they, I, I believe they acquitted Brendan Dassey based on the sort of coercive interviewing tactics that the detectives were using. But then I learned later on that they actually found. So just to get everybody up to speed that maybe hasn't seen the movie and has no idea what's going on. There was a woman that worked for, um, we'll, we'll call it Auto Trader. 
which is basically just uh, a logo, a magazine, a local magazine where people list their cars for sale, private sellers. Right. Yeah. So this woman that worked for the magazine went to Stephen Avery to take photographs of a car that he was trying to sell. And it was under these circumstances that Stephen Avery abducted her and sexually assaulted her and, and ultimately killed her with, with Brendan Dassey. That's the, that's the official story. And then it gets real convoluted with how uh, they, well, they found, they couldn't find her car. They had no idea what happened. They suspected that Stephen Avery was responsible because he kind of like that, that whole family had a rap sheet basically. And the most interesting part of it was that Stephen Avery had been in prison for sexually assaulting a woman on, you know, down by the river. And then DNA testing later revealed that in fact it wasn't him. So he was suing this police department, or maybe it was the city in Wisconsin. Yeah, Manitowoc County, he sued. And, uh, you know, for many millions of dollars. So this documentary on Netflix sort of frames it like they had to bring down Stephen Avery, otherwise he was going to bankrupt the county for his wrongful prosecution. So you get to the end of the documentary and you realize this, or, or you, the, the conclusion that you're meant to draw when you get to the end is justice is corrupt. Manitowoc County is completely corrupt. Stephen Avery is innocent. Come on, everyone. Let's rally behind. Come on, let's go. We got a justice for Stephen Avery. Come on. But then later it's revealed that after, they, after the detectives found the woman's car on his property, and, and this was one of the things that I found very perplexing that sort of, it definitely supported the argument of the filmmakers, is that would he really be that dumb to murder this woman, etc., and then try to hide her car on his property? When they had, I mean, they operated a junkyard, if I remember correctly, with a car crusher that they could have just rolled her car in there, crushed it, and been done with it. Right. But you find out after the fact that the detectives actually, like, found Stephen Avery's blood, like, under the hood of her car, uh, presumably from like disconnecting the battery or some such and other little bits of of evidence that sort of introduce this idea that it's not as corrupt and straightforward as the filmmakers presented it to be. But it still doesn't change my opinion that the justice department is hopelessly corrupt. And that has kind of been true. But, but a, a lot of people suggest that this 
documentary Making a Murderer was actually a propaganda film to turn the opinion of the public against law enforcement and justice in general. But there's more than just this example of, of police corruption. And I don't, I, I support law enforcement. I support justice. I mean, I feel like this is why, I mean, the, the reason that we're in, like the, we're having the biggest problems that we're having is because of persecution of law enforcement and sort of a lack of faith in our justice system yeah, that, for that sure. just forces these, these people, I mean, police officers and detectives. And then, I mean, it no doubt travels up the chain of command, this sort of demoralization from the disdain of the public. And I totally get that. It's, I mean, yeah, people me experience it in everyday life. Ah, it's, these cunts but aren't I, happy I with think, anything. Uh, I, I think there's, a, like, there's an overall problem like in society. I mean, I've been talking about it for years and years, really, haven't we? Which is like this polarization of everything. You know, everything is like one or the other. Like, the, you know, yeah. people have an opinion where the police is shit or the police is good. You know, you got the Blue Lives Matter people and you got the Black Lives Matter people. And they both go like, you know, we're, we're, we're our team. And there's no like gradient of like, okay, this police department is pretty good. And this police department is pretty fucked up. Yeah. And I it's, bet it, if it, you, there's never that. I, I, I bet if you, if you did a, a deeper dive and, and maybe approached people specifically yeah, and investigated that you would learn, oh, these people that are all about back the blue live in an area that's got quality law enforcement, police officers that have integrity and, and try to do good by the people. And these, this other group of people that says defund the police, well, they live in a big city with a bunch of shit police officers that don't do anything to protect the people and are just looking to extract the wealth of the public through fines and, and, you know, bail bonds, etc. Yeah, of course. Of course, because like, you know, if you live somewhere with a high or low crime rate, that's going to massively affect your opinion of the police and of course, which side of the aisle you're on. Uh, it seems kind of ridiculous to assume that um, you know, the police are going to be the same everywhere. And of course, the more interactions you have with police, the more chances of there to be a bad interaction with a police officer. And that's why in those urban areas, you have more situations because you're not going to have that many interactions with police in the middle of nowhere, Alabama or Nebraska, something like that, or in the middle of nowhere here in, you know, the Midlands where we live in the countryside, I see one police car come down here a month maximum. Okay. <laughs> so my, you know, my availability for exposure to that kind of behavior is lower. And, but if you lived in town or if you lived in London, then, you know, the average amount of times you're going to come up, you know, and see a police officer or get into an altercation is going to be higher. So that's just kind of like the, you know, people, people see it differently and have different experiences. But then they go and they apply that shit to everywhere. They apply that shit to the whole fucking place, man, the whole country. Oh, yeah, we just need to get rid of them all. Get yeah. rid of all the police officers in the whole country. Because Not my personal experience. Shit. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They they apply their personal experience. Like that would be like me saying, "Yeah, but the police are fine. I never have problems with them." Yeah. Well, yeah, because I never fucking see them. And you know that's the same problem. If I was to say that, like you know, I never see them. So you know, what opinion do I have? It, it but it's so difficult to have a conversation like that with someone. It's so difficult to have a conversation with anyone higher up as well that it's more like a gradient. Hey, look. There's no problems here, okay? We don't need to spend any time on that. Let's leave that alone. The Met Police in London, they have serious issues, and there's compartmentalization with all these kind of things. We need to sort this out and do that, and do that, and this, that, and the other. Um, but it's so difficult to have that. I, I, I've, never heard, I've never heard anyone talking like that. It's always, you know, either defund the police and basically let's just, uh, well, fuck it, let's just do it ourselves. Yeah, free you know, for let's all. just uh, yeah, let's just do whatever we want, and you know, the the libertarian in me is like, yeah, and then I realized, no, <laughs> that's not going to work very well. That's not going to work very well. But there's got to be, you know, a solution somewhere in the middle. Better governments, better transparency, better, you know, um, and there's something, there's something in the middle there that, that, that we should get to that's going to work well because we've been on this planet for a long time, and police have been around for a long time, and the state's been around for a long time, and uh, we're still here and we're still functioning, and there's problems. There's always going to be problems, um, but this this sort of notion that it's like a very binary it is never going to work because then what happens is is you get consecutive governments going into into power on single policy ideas where it's just binary and some government gets in and they do a very binary thing they go well let all the, let all the immigrants in no fucking problem great okay that's a problem then the next government gets in and goes <laughs> right fucking no immigrants at all and they're just going to shut the border and they, it never solves any kind of issue uh, because it all becomes very much you know just a, just a one issue type thing and it, it, nothing ever changes it just it just becomes this you know hamster wheel of shit ideas because people can't talk to each other and come up with a solution that's going to work for everyone. And then often the, the motivation is not to actually make something, not to actually improve the situation, but just to get reelected. Yeah, of course. Or if it's in a personal space, you know, you, you're, you're thinking about, you know, your, your self-preservation. You know, if, you, if, you're a, if you're a drug dealer, you're going to be out there fucking going, yeah, fucking defund the police. Let's go, man. You know, th th these are not, I can't see, like, a lot of these people don't talk about, like, oh, we should do this for the country. It's usually like, nah, we need to do this for, like, this, this environment, yo, because we need to get this sorted out and, you know, fuck the police and all this kind of stuff. And it's the same for, like, you know, the other people. They're like, oh, no, we need all the police in the world and smash these people down because they're pissing me off. And they never talk about, like, oh, let's look at the whole country together and, and come up with a solution that's going to work for everyone because I think this will this will do this or this will do that. It's very much like super emotional, super personal issues that they apply to everything. And that's why like most people end up making shitty politicians unless you like some kind of I don't want to say Angela Merkel because, you know, whatever, but she's she was a very analytical, very pragmatic person. Uh, and, and that's usually, they usually end up being half decent politicians because they, they almost have like zero emotion of themselves. So they don't really get sucked in by those kind of cultural issues. But, you know, right now, I mean, you, you look at your politics, basically everything is fucking emotional. Um, well, every, it's, at, every least, it's at least framed that way in the media. Yeah. Like, I, I agree with you. That is, that is the consensus. I just hesitate because 
I mean, I, I hesitate to say, yes, it's that because the media creates, I mean, they've, they've really created this emotional culture in my opinion, in sort of an effort to just dictate behavior and create sort of a predictable response for their corporate and, and political overlords. But what's interesting about the, this, you know, what we're talking about with perspective and personal experience and the police being sort of this, I mean, they, they are a political arm to an extent. And it's, it, it sort of introduces this idea that we've been as a population of human beings, we've always held each other accountable. It's just to what level are we holding each other accountable and to what level of, of fairness, you know, like I, I just finished watching um, the, uh, I, I think it was a remake of all quiet on the Western front. Oh, that's actually a half decent film, you know? Yeah, it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. And uh, spoiler alert, at the end, one of the main characters gets killed after they, like, they've, they've signed the armistice documents. It's all quiet on the Western, Western front is, is about uh, World War I. So at the end of the film, the, the armistice documents have been signed. The world, or the world, <laughs> the war ends at uh, 11 a.m. on November 11th, 11, 11, 11. There's some numerology that, that you could apply there. But they, they, the, these two main characters, the, the documents have been signed. The war is over. They're all celebrating and happy. And they go, they take a walk across the countryside because they're hungry. And they go to a farm that they visited before and robbed because they're Nazis, even though they're kind of framed as the good guys in this movie, which I have opinions on. They get caught stealing eggs from this farm. And they run. And the farmer's chasing after them, firing shots and missing. And they run across the field and escape. And one of the German soldiers goes into the forest to relieve himself and turns around and sees, oh, there's the farmer's son with the rifle. Shoots him in the belly, hits his liver. He dies a few hours later. Now, is that justice? They just stole eggs. But this is how we, ha we exercise our, our, our own forms of justice outside of the government, outside of the police. Because we have an innate sense of right and wrong. I, I don't believe that people don't know it's not okay to hurt other people, that it's not okay to steal other people's things. I believe outside of religion, Outside of laws and politics, human beings have an innate understanding of how to behave in society to varying degrees. But it brings to mind this, I mean, sensational story out of Ireland. And what so, so in Ireland, an immigrant 
which is sort of debatable, but I, an immigrant. Yeah. Good luck finding some real hard truth on that fucking media. (laughs) Exactly. An immigrant stabbed five people, three children, two adults. I don't think anybody died. No, thank God. Yeah. But it's, it's completely inflamed the population. And then, and Conor McGregor has now come out and, and made statements. And the point here is we hold each other accountable. And when the people that are responsible for holding each other accountable don't live up to that responsibility, then we get riots in the streets. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like really our law enforcement, maybe not on the beat police officers and detectives, but definitely mayors and police commissioners, they're either compromised or they're too afraid to do the right thing, to do what needs to be done. And now, now Conor McGregor is under criminal investigation for these statements that he's made, basically declaring that Israel, or not Israel. (laughs) (laughs) I am a product of American media. (laughs) Ireland is at war with basically the invading force of migrants. And it, it, it just, it begs the question, what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish in Israel? What are we trying to accomplish in Ukraine? Well, we're trying to stop people from being assholes, right? To, to put it simply. And as, I, I, I would say as a quasi-anarchist, because let's be realistic. Anarchy isn't something that we can realistically apply to our lives, is it? Nevertheless, we can't just enable people to be assholes with no repercussion. But the reason yeah, that sure. law enforcement and government exists is to take that responsibility onto themselves. We have justice, we have lawyers, we have judges, we have trials. And at the end of the trial, the judge goes, you've been found to be an asshole. I sentence you to whatever the public deems or whatever the public has deemed as a necessary punishment for your assholishness. And when the, the public believes that the sentence doesn't fit the crime, well, then they take to the streets. But is it organic? This guy, they, they say that this guy was an immigrant. And then right. I think it was, was it the BBC that said actually he wasn't an immigrant? And then later it was like community noted that, yes, he was an immigrant, but he was also an Irish citizen because he was from Algeria, but had been living in Ireland for 20 years. 
it makes me question how organic this scenario really is when it seems like the Western Uh, world is kind of, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying, what was the motivation? Was this guy out of his mind? Was he on a bunch of drugs? Was this a psychotic episode? Was it a hate crime? And depending on who you ask, the the story is going to be different. What's, what's your assessment on this whole situation? Dude, this, this be fucked up. I mean, (laughs) I, it, it really is fucked up, like on on all fronts. Okay, because, and I I don't know where the media gets off on this, like jumping to conclusions shit. Because just like the people jump to conclusions that the guy was an immigrant, okay, they jump to conclusions that it was all the far right people coming down. In the same fucking right. way, it was like an hour after this shit kicked off, they were like, "Yep, far right's down here. The far right's coming down, and they're you know." KKK outfits and they're, yeah. you know, and they're Sikh Highland around and telling everyone to get the fuck out. Fuck off. No one was there on the ground. They were just, they were just, you know, they were just reading shit on Twitter and, and watching videos on TikTok and then just making up some shit as they went along. I wouldn't be surprised if, the, if there's a bunch of redactions to this. Because let's be honest, right? When someone says far right, that is a completely and utterly subjective term. 100%. So the media never have to like do any redactions to that because they're, they're, how do you define far right? There is no definition. Everyone has their own definition for far right. Far right to me is, you know, far right is like Hitler shit. That's like gassing some people up in, in you know, ovens and stuff. That to me is like pretty damn far right. You know, far right to me is not <laughs> someone going out and screaming a racial slur or something. That's like just normal. That's like normal, like racist asshole right. That's not like far, far right, like way off the deep end. And this stuff is just like bullshit. Okay, you've got a country that is very small. They've taken in a great deal of people from different cultures. And they are expecting nothing bad to happen? Hello? We're not talking about a few immigrants going into America where America has 350 million people here. We're talking about a country that's taken on probably, I'm going to say 10 to 15% of their entire population within the last two years. All immigrants. Insane. Like... Insane. And, and for, for someone to expect nothing to happen from that is an idiot, okay? We don't live in a world where everyone gets along and everyone is cool and everyone's fine. That is not the world we live in. So for someone to genuinely have the argument that you... It'd be like anything. If two companies do a merger and all the employees come together, do you expect all the employees to get on from the two different companies? No. Is that a racial thing? Is that a far-right thing? No, it's just two groups of people, and they just don't get along, and they don't get along for a long time until the generations come down. And it's just like, and it, it feeds into it. It's like, it's, 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 a, it's a constant feedback loop of this shit now, and that's why, it, to some degree, there has to be some kind of cap on how many people you let in from different cultures, because, yes, you get the economic growth, but sometimes you get into these issues culturally where it ends up, you know, stemming growth because you've got so many... So societal issues that are just differing and it causes frictions and then you get shit like this and even the government themselves in Ireland are saying they are struggling to accommodate the amount of people coming to Ireland that is a problem it's all well and good having people coming in I love it I think it's great immigration is awesome um, but if there's nowhere to put them then what the fuck is going on here and now we're in a situation where people that are on the far right that think they should like kill all the fucking immigrants and do all this bullshit now they're justified because the government's saying that they can't accommodate them. You have shit like this that kicks off, 
And then just to double down, the, the government are now saying, well, we're going to rush through this law. That means we can use like facial recognition on everyone that goes to the riots. Okay, great. Now what you're doing is, is you're taking everyone that has a problem with what happened and join the riot and you're jumping them all up into the same fucking group. And now you're martyring them, basically. Uh, you're justifying their existence and you're justifying that their uh, cause is correct, that the government is not on their side and doesn't believe what they believe. And rather than coming to some kind of uh, solution where you minimize the amount of riots that happen and minimize the, the thing that caused it by, uh, by being very open about who did it, uh, you know, why they didn't make it a transparent argument. It seems completely outrageous to me that the way they believe that they should sort this problem is by prosecuting the people that were at the riot and not sorting out the original cause of the riot, which is the, uh, <laughs> which is the really untransparent way that they dealt with the investigation that then led into the misinformation that happened and then led into the riots. If you're not transparent from the get-go, people start to misinform each other and that spins people into a frenzy. It's very simple. That is exactly what happens every time. If you're not open from the beginning, people will make up answers to, to their own questions. And then you get a riot like this. And now it's an uncontrolled situation. Now, anytime something happens where maybe someone is the wrong color, this, this shit's going to happen. Anyone that isn't exactly Irish, this shit is going to happen. Because now you've justified their existence. Uh, and, their, and their solution to this is a wide-bearing facial recognition program, which is a massive like hit to your personal privacy. So... I don't. I don't know what this. I don't know what they're fucking doing over here. This is very simple. Well, and it's it's coupled also with this this hate speech bill. Yeah, that, that's that that's, they're rolling that's, out. Then this this is what's gotten Conor McGregor in trouble. He's been he's speaking out a, against the government, and that, I mean that's really what it's about, right? This this hate speech bill where you can be well. Let's hear it from the uh, from the MP herself. When you think about it, all law. All legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. You will see throughout our constitution, right. yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good. When you think about it. It's like, it calls to mind that film, uh, Hot Fuzz. Yeah, where, sure. Like right yeah. before the beginning of the third act, he catches them at, at their weird ritual where they're, they're talking about how they've, they've done all these things for the greater good it's we do all this stuff for the greater good and then of course it it devolves into the comedy that that simon Pegg and nick frost are known for because then they all all you know the 12 or 13 robed individuals that are at this ritual start all just start droning the greater good the greater good the greater good <laughs> and be, because it's it's parody what is the greater good who decides what the greater good is who who validates the discomfort and 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 the insecurity yeah and who who decides yeah like who decides uh the description of the greater good 
Like, what does that yeah. look like? Is that, you know, like, a, what, how do you quantify that? I don't know how to quantify that. Right. It's, it's, an, it's an ethereal, ethereal vaporous sort of, uh, uh, you know, just, just what you were saying. It's, it's subjective. It's totally subjective. And this, this is what pisses me off the most. It's like they, they do this every fucking time. They try and put, put through some kind of hate speech or anti-child pornography stuff. They always do this shit, right? It sounds great on paper. It's about the greater good. It's about saving this shit. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do this really wide restrictive measure that basically just says everyone's fucking guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> Is that like, is it, and, that's, and that's what they do. They try and guilt trip you into going, oh, yeah, maybe I should agree to this. You know, if someone was making my life hell like this. Yeah, you're right. And that's why you fucking, you already have the laws. Look, the laws already exist. If you are a dickhead to someone and you racially discriminate against them, that is against the law. It is against the law. And what yeah, happens is, is it's that happens. There. You fucking report them to the police and then they deal with it. You don't get to just go, well, anyone that's ever said anything of all time in any context, now that's hate speech and now, now we can prosecute you. You know, if you just, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. Well, okay. it's, it's, it's like what is going, so uh, the newly elected Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, has just sort of gone on the record saying, we're, we're going to continue to support Ukraine because we can't let Putin march across across Russia and who can disagree with that I mean if you want to try to take a position disagreeing with that statement you're welcome to but if we're to have a conversation about it I think you're going to have a hard time defending that position that says no we can just let us I probably shouldn't call Russia a superpower but we're just going to let another country invade someone else's country and not do anything i mean like a much smaller much more vulnerable country that can't possibly defend itself against the might of russia on its own we're gonna just let that happen i mean regardless of of what you think about american interventionism how can we let how could we let Russia invade another country and not respond and not try to support that country. It sends the message to Russia. Go ahead. Help yourself. We're not going to do anything because a percentage of the American population believes that we shouldn't be intervening. Okay, well, fair. I mean, I generally agree with that. I, I don't appreciate American imperialism. No, no. But also, where's the line? I mean, we don't, yeah, exactly. we, we don't want to say, go ahead. I mean, I, I think, I think of it in a, in a trading partner relationship, you know, if, if you're not there for your trading friends when they need it, how does that reflect on them? You know, the, you know, if, if I was Taiwan or South Korea and, you know, Russia was allowed to just like blast Ukraine and now Russia just controls all that shit and just, you know, ra you know, racks the price up of oil and gas and grain and stuff there. And we never did anything to, to, to avoid that situation. You know, South Korea, Taiwan, those other countries that, you know, they're on the kind of fringe borders of, of, of nations that don't like them very much, which a lot of trade. Okay. South Korea, they got NVIDIA. All right. Mm. Big company. Taiwan, TSMC. America needs them big time. Mm -hmm. 
I'd be sitting there thinking as a South Korea, you know, politician or a Taiwanese politician, I'd be like, well, you know, when push comes to shove, the Americans aren't going to help us. So I'm not going to give them any preferential treatment from our side. Um, I'm just going to well, deal, deal with what deal with and whatever. Especially not with how China would respond to that sort of friendly behavior with, with one of its, its big adversaries. I mean, if your neighbor uh, hates the guy that lives down the street and sees you being best friends with that guy down the street, how is your, what, what sort of opinion is your neighbor going to draw of you? Like, Oh, the, uh, the friend of my enemy is my enemy kind of mentality. And if you're South Korea, if you're Taiwan, you don't want to upset China. Who's right across the strait because that could mean very very detrimental repercussions yeah of course of course it, you know it's all a balancing game and again i go back to this you know it's not a binary thing um but i think it, it is worth there will be a monetary value on this that you know showing your support for nations and helping them out when they're in a time of need does come back to you man it does uh with trading relationships and you know people trust you you know that's the reason why a lot of countries don't don't deal with russia because they don't trust them and it's very difficult to trade with them Uh, that's why a lot of countries aren't trusting china anymore it's very difficult to deal with them and they fuck so many people over when and so people look at America and they go, well, I can put my money in dollars. I can put my investment in America because I know that America is going to have my back. I know that there are processes in America where my money is not just just going to be, you know, smashed off in, in, or siphoned off into corruption somewhere. Um, that's that's the real value that you can put on that, and it's very difficult to quantify that as a number, but. For sure, like if America just didn't give a shit about anyone, you know, there would not be the same level of investment that people do nowadays, especially, especially right now when a lot of these nations where people were putting their money into are now putting it into America instead because they know that it's a known quantity rather than putting it in in, in China where, yeah, sure, it's a little bit cheaper, you get more for your money, but the risk involved with that is so much higher. Yeah, and if, if American imperialism didn't exist yeah the world would look a lot different and i'm not sure that it would look a lot different in a better way because no and and i mean you know in terms of the imperialism i I do think they go you know too far sometimes yeah uh and i think like you know obviously there there have been mistakes you know the uk have made grave mistakes you know iraq was a huge mistake um and I think I think it's it's definitely a balance. You know, we have to show that we look out for our friends and for our trading partners because it's important. We want to make sure that we can trade freely uh, with people like Ukraine um, because it benefits us. You know, why would we want our one of our biggest trading partners in Europe to be under the control of Russia, where we then don't get the same kind of rates and relationship we did before? You know, is that worth fighting for? Probably. I mean, they do like a third of the grain for for like the world. You know, it's it's extremely important. Um, but you know, to to the extent that we would then commit all the way and put troops on the ground and then you know, deploy tactical nukes or you know invade another country just just to get access to that, that's just too far. I think. I, I think that's just too far. At that point, it becomes like no, you know, the return on investment is is not going to be the 
the same and you end up with a country like Afghanistan, which is just completely fucked up now. You know, a lot of the Middle East is completely and utterly destroyed um, because we went in there, we blew everything up and then left a power vacuum and it was worse than it was than, we, than when we got there. Um, and so I think there's definitely a fine line of balance of like how much interventionism we do. If you look back in history with lots of dynasties and stuff, you know, this is nothing different, you know, people that were trying to grab land and maintain relationships and, and doing that. And of course, we have that on a globalized scale with communication and long range weapons now. Uh, but you always see it with empires that rise and fall and what they did and what they didn't do and how they dealt with certain situations to maintain their trading relationships with with their partners and keep their friends happy and keep their enemies close. Well, it- <clears throat> In in Ukraine specifically, the U.S. has invested so much in Ukraine that we're sort of painting ourselves into a corner where, I mean, while this, this isn't so much a reality now, but may have been a few months ago before, you know, everything popped off in Israel. If we want a hope of seeing that investment returns if if we want to collect those hundreds of billions of dollars in in repayment if we want to have that good trading relationship we have to support ukrainian independence because we're i mean what russia is going to turn around and be like yeah we uh, now that we own ukraine we're going to cut you good trade deals and we're going to make sure you get those hundreds of billions back no way. Fuck Russia's no, going to go, no. ha ha, we won. You know, piss off. What are you going to exactly. do about it? <laughs> and look, we're committing money. Sure. We can make money. You know, money's, money's not a problem. We print fucking enough of it and we borrow and we fucking steal and whatever. And, you know, there are money supply problems in the West, of course. And they're, they're not caused by giving it away. They're caused by productivity issues and other systemic issues in our country so you know money is whatever and and machines if we're giving away machines and now the military's go well we don't have enough for ourselves it's like oh fucking boohoo uh we don't have enough uh weapons for ourselves that's called the military industrial complex okay you just generated like fifty thousand jobs basically from just giving all that shit away to ukraine uh so I, I you know i play the smallest violin in the world for anyone that starts complaining about the fact we don't have enough bullets or something i'm like well you've just given like everyone in the military industrial complex like uh, jobs for life uh, well that will that will employ so many english uh, american swedish uh, you know it's a whole cottage industry you know on, on war so <laughs> you know I, it seems i don't have i don't have any empathy for that it really does seem like the American economy, at least, has gotten itself in a position to be very dependent on conflict around the world. And all of the defense contractors, Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, Boeing, etc., they're all donating big money to political campaigns. And I read, like, like, Lindsey Graham is one of the worst, the senator from South Carolina. And I just, I just read an article where it was from The Hill, which is kind of, I, I would say The Hill is like similar to Reuters, where you, could, you can sometimes depend on the journalism, depending on who the journalist actually is, as opposed to like CNN and MSNBC, where it's 
all propaganda. But this Hill article referred, they, they called, instead of calling Lindsey Graham a war hawk, which he is, they called him a defense hawk. And oh, oh, it was in the, it <laughs> was so in the context of, um, it was in the context of uh, Tommy Tuberville, which I always thought was Tommy Tuberville, but maybe that was just the mispronunciation. So he, Tommy Tuberville, Tuberville, whatever you like, he used to be a, a football coach, Division One football coach. Oh, really? For uh, Auburn University, and uh, you know, Division One that it's basically like minor leagues for for the NFL. You know, professional American football. And uh, he, so he got his bid as a, a senator and has been obstructing uh, these military um, promotions and, and, and appointments because Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has decided uh, just, just sort of unilaterally. That even though federal abortion law has changed dramatically in the United States with the the Roe v. Wade decision being overturned by the Supreme Court, Lloyd Austin decided, uh, we're going to disregard that and we're still going to provide and finance abortions for our servicemen and women, mostly women. Well, that's against the law. And Tommy Tuberville knows that it's against the law, but he seems to be the only one. Well, he had more support back. I think it was all the way back to March when he started doing this. But now he's coming under pressure from the rest of the his, his, you know, Republican associates in the Senate. Because, well, that part is a little bit hazy. But I would bet that it has something to do with the military-industrial complex and these people that are looking for maybe jobs on the board or uh, advisory positions with these defense contractors when when their terms are over. And also a lot of people that are in the military as well. Because they go from their, you know, because you only have to serve in the United States, you only have to serve for 20 years. And then you can retire with a full pension. So if you get into the military at 18 and then you retire when you're 38 and you've got your whole career ahead of you, essentially. So they go work for Lockheed Martin and Raytheon or they go into politics. And then they, they want to pull strings. They want to do favors. I mean, it's, it's likely that this is how they land their positions in politics. And it's likely how they keep their positions in politics by doing favors for the people that helped them get there. So we have a forever war in Afghanistan. And we have Lindsey Graham saying, I will gladly vote to change the rules so that Tommy Tuberville can't obstruct these promotions. And, and, and that's the other thing. It's not just that Tommy T- Tuberville is saying, we're going to stop all promotions and appointments until 
Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin agrees to stop the abortion factory in the United States military. It's that he's saying we're not going to do them en masse. We're not going to do 161 promotions and appointments with a single up or down vote. We're going to do them one at a time. So not only is he being a little bit obstructive, but he's also making people work. And that is not what our politicians like to do, evidently. And this is one of the reasons that everybody hates Marjorie Taylor Greene so much, because she has done the same thing. She has demanded. So post-pandemic, Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House. And she, I mean, post-pandemic and pandemic, the rules changed. Senators and congressmen and women didn't have to come in. They could vote by proxy. They could zoom in. And it was basically just exposing the way our government really works, which is uh, lobbyists for, uh, oh, the defense contractors that we just mentioned, for example. They're the ones that actually write the legislation. This is why Nancy Pelosi is on record saying, oh, no, we have to pass the bill and then we can read it. Because that's just the message that comes down from the puppet masters. Yeah. Now we're going to write your legislation. We'll we'll pass it and then have a look at it afterwards. That's (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. And she actually said that with a serious face. God, that's crazy. It's unbelievable. But Marjorie Taylor Greene just this morning, as a matter of fact, uh, released a bombshell report, probably not just her, that there's more information coming out about Seth Rich. Do you know Seth Rich? No, I have no idea who that is. Seth Rich was a staffer that worked for uh, the DNC, I believe. And this is what Joe Rogan has to say about it. When a person is giving information to WikiLeaks that exposes corruption inside the very organization that's responsible for the fucking Democratic Party, and he gets murdered, and you're like, oh, the conspiracy theories. No, he got murdered. There's no conspiracy. It was a botched robbery. Says who? Says who? Where's his? How come his wallet was there? How come his watch was there? How come they didn't take his phone? What the fuck are you talking about that I'm a conspiracy theorist when I just tell you the facts? So and this that- this. WikiLeaks thing with Julian Assange is the craziest shit ever when he said there's consequences to sharing information with us. And everybody's like, he works for Russia now. He works for Russia. <laughs> so he isn't was that... the darling of the left when Obama was in office. So Do you isn't remember? that amazing? That's so, so Julian Assange, he... Seth Rich, it's believed. So there was the scandal, 33,000 email scandal with Hillary Clinton. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Seth Rich worked at least somewhat closely with Hillary Clinton. Now, when this scandal of the emails and the private servers all came out around Hillary Clinton and Julian Assange allegedly, so, so this was this whole big mess. When Donald Trump was elected and Hillary Clinton came out with this Russian report that or with this this Russian dossier uh, that was completely fabricated 
and and used it to claim that that Donald Trump was uh, a Russian agent or or at least he was colluding with Russia to help him win the 2016 election. It was revealed later that that Julian Assange had somehow come into position into possession of a number of these emails. And it was alleged at the time that, oh, it was, it was hacked. It was, you know, Russians, Russians hacked Hillary Clinton's email server. And that's how, and then they gave these emails to Russia. Well, it was later discovered, or, or at least the, the report was that there was no evidence of any kind of remote access to the server indicating that it was an inside job. Somebody extracted the data from the server directly with hardware. And then Seth Rich was murdered inexplicably, as you heard Joe Rogan just explain. Shot twice in the back, walking down the street in D.C. Oh, but it was a botched robbery. And this is, video is even like community noted by YouTube, courtesy of Wikipedia. <coughs> the murder of Seth Rich occurred on July 10th, 2016 at 4.20 a.m. in the Bloomingdale neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Rich died about an hour and a half after being shot twice in the back. The perpetrators were never apprehended. Police suspected he had been the victim of an attempted robbery. An attempted robbery. But as you heard, they didn't take anything. He had his watch. He had his wallet. And now it's been reported, first thing this morning, that a judge has ordered evidence from that trial, data off of Seth Rich's devices, is being subpoenaed for further investigation. And this is really encouraging. Let's, let's read a little bit from this article from the Liberty Daily. A federal judge has ordered the government and law enforcement to disclose to the court information about suspected DNC leaker Seth Rich's murder. The release is to include Rich's laptops, DVD, and the tape drive associated with the case. Before this order, information that has been provided about the case through Freedom of Information Act requests has been heavily redacted and offered little with which independent investigators and journalists could use. It is known that he had the means, motive, and, in, and intel necessary to be the anonymous leaker. Ever since former Democrat National Committee employee was, the, the Democrat National Committee employee was mysteriously murdered in Washington, D.C., theories about the so-called, quote, robbery gone bad have revolved around the belief that Rich was leaking sensitive emails to DC Leaks and WikiLeaks in June and July 2016. Rich was murdered with two shots to the back in the DC area in July of that year. I just I just read that bit from the article because it's it's the conspiracy theory take on what actually happened to Seth Rich. So Hillary Clinton used this to frame Donald Trump because advisors to Donald Trump had connections to Julian Assange or at least some light communication because they knew that Julian Assange was in possession of these emails. 
And I wonder, when does the arrest of Julian Assange fall in this saga? Do you know? Are you familiar with everything that's going on with Julian Assange? Uh, not lately. I mean, I know historically what's been going on with Julian Assange, and I'm a big fan of his work, <laughs> as you might imagine. Um, but, dude, I don't really know what's going on with him, you know, personally. I did follow extremely closely when they were trying to get him extradited to, to the US, and the UK courts were being a bit fucking shady. I'm not going to lie. They were being a bit weird. So until. Uh, trying, to, trying to get him out of that uh, embassy. That's, I don't know, it's all confusing. So until April 2019, he was uh, living in Ecuador under asylum. That's right, yeah, in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Oh, right, right. That's the rest of this line. <laughs> and then when they revoked his asylum, he was extradited which is I mean he was already there but he was ex extradited to London officials and is still in prison there to this day correct yeah yep now this is all because he has been releasing leaked information and it, this his his arrest was basically a fabricated story of sexual assault. He was like the first one. And I, I remember that came to mind when uh, the last time we were talking about me too and, and Harvey Weinstein being, yeah, yeah. Being the first one me too. No, I think, uh, I think Julian Assange was the OG, the leftist establishment realized that he was doing real journalism and exposing real crimes by the government. And they made up a story and put him in prison where he yeah, sits to this day. Yeah, it was so weird because, day. like, you know, the, 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 the sexual assault apparently happened. Or was it, was it, is it Switzerland or Sweden? I can't remember. Um, and then I was thinking, well, what the fuck does that have to do with the UK or, or America then? Oh, yeah. Well, Cause it's... Because I, I was thinking, like, surely, surely they should extradite him to that country to be tried for that crime in, in country. I don't understand. Why. Well, I think the charges have been debunked now. It's yeah. The been, charges have been fucking fucked off, but it, now he's in the system, right? Yeah. It's, it's known that he didn't actually commit the crimes that they used as the pretext to arrest him. Mm -hmm. But now the United States, the establishment United States, and a lot of people say that Donald Trump should have, pardoned Julian Assange, but my opinion, as I've mentioned on the show before, is that the members of the Senate, the Republican Senate, being so deeply corrupted, were threatening him with an actual indictment from all of these bogus impeachments that the Democrat Congress was passing. The Democrat Congress would uh, vote to impeach then when the impeachment proceedings went to the Senate the Republican controlled Senate could say okay we're not actually going to indict you as long as you do what we say and that includes not pardoning Julian Assange among other people that they didn't want pardoned but I don't really understand so 
a lot of these people like uh, John McAfee. You're no, no doubt familiar uh, with John McAfee. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's a hero <laughs> in the conspiracy community. He was uh, arrested, I think, uh, about three months before his death. And he made posts on social media saying, I am not suicidal if, if someone, if I die, it's because someone killed me. But I also have like a dead man switch that's going to release all of this stuff if and when I die. Well, he died in prison. And as far as I know, there's been no kill switch revealed. But I truly believe the only reason that Julian Assange is still alive is because they can't lock down this information that will expose them all. And, and not only is this information due to come out, the information that Julian Assange has on our corrupt politicians, yeah, now yeah. more information is coming from Seth Rich's laptop. And there will be even more revelations in Donald Trump's court cases. So we have, even though the future may seem bleak while you're on, you know, TikTok and Twitter and YouTube, we're winning some very important battles, uh, but yeah, for sure. You know, as well as I, I believe that the UK prisons are much more robust and much safer than than American ones. Well, do you, you know, have people don't tend to like go missing or die suddenly like Epstein? It doesn't. Ha it's very very rare. You know, sure people get you know killed and beaten up and stuff in prison. That's whatever. But you know, high figures like that, they don't suddenly just die. Yeah, it's you know, it's really bizarre, and and it's it's one of those things that makes me feel like if if Donald Trump gets convicted by this corrupt Justice Department, which it's likely, I mean, most people believe that he will be convicted soon, and he turns himself into prison. I mean, that's pretty much it. If if, if Donald Trump turns himself into prison, he's basically lost my vote because there's. There's too many things about him that make me skeptical of his, his real motivations. There's too many little just anomalies in some of the decisions that he's made that the, the, the devoted Trump base, and I, I would generally consider myself to be part of the devoted Trump base, but these, you, you get a lot of, a lot of venom from the devout Trumpers when, yeah, you, when sure. you say things like, okay, well, if, if the election really was stolen, why did he agree to leave office? Why did he, you know, have a peaceful transfer of power? I mean, if, if he had these, this, all this evidence, but it is speculated and it has been suggested. Yeah, for sure. As well as, as, well as if, if the election was stolen from me previously, why would I want to engage in that process again? Exactly. As well as also, you know, my opinion of Trump is he is someone that is very, very capable at convincing people that what he is doing is for them and not for himself. What I see Trump is, is he's a very much an individual and the decisions he makes, he makes to further himself. Well, yeah, and he wouldn't. I mean, that he wouldn't just 
decide to do things exclusively for someone else. I mean, this, and this is one of the problems with the, the two term, you know, presidential administrations. Yeah. Everybody goes through their first term trying to get reelected to their second term. Right. And, and I then think, in the second term, they just kind of like do bare minimum because they're already in. They don't have to try anymore. Right. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see what, what a second Trump term looks like. I hope he goes scorched earth on these bastards. Like uh, somebody, somebody said, uh, Trump's going to have to spend his whole second term uh, undoing everything that, that Biden has done. And I just, I shout, I literally shouted, no, he does not. He should not spend all of his time undoing all of the disastrous Biden policies. He should round up everyone that has participated in, in this sham administration of justice, not just to him, but to everyone. All of the people that, that were involved with, with January 6th. All, you, you know, I just learned, and I, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't have the clip, but we're drawing to a close here, so fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned from the, uh, uh, the union of uh, the federal air marshals, the head of the union for the federal air marshals, just did an interview where she claimed that everyone that flew into Washington, D.C. on January 5th and 6th is, has been placed on the domestic terrorism watch list. Wow, really? Even if, they, even if they didn't... And now this is alleged. This is alleged by this woman who has a vested interest in applying pressure to the government. Okay. Surely that should be a, a list she should be able to get... Like, right. One. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would assume so. It would, it would be a pretty brash claim to make that if it was so easily debunked, at least. Yeah. So people that were going to, for weddings, people that went for funerals, people that didn't go anywhere near the clap, near the Capitol, they've all been placed on the domestic terrorism watch list and federal marshals are assigned to track them through airports and onto planes. Unbelievable. This That's is so this, crazy. This, Domestic terrorism. Well, and this is at the beginning of Joe Biden's administration. And this is how, see it all. When, when you, when you take the big picture view for me, the 10,000 foot view goes, yep. The election was stolen. Yep. Joe Biden's not really running the country. Yep. It's foreign interests. And corporate interests that are actually calling the shots in the government. Because just look at what's happening. But yeah, it's bizarre. The, the federal air marshals are being assigned to American citizens that just happened to fly into Washington, D.C. Almost four years ago now. Who had nothing to do with the protest. Who may not I have even gone to the Capitol. Yeah. And they're flying well. And I mean... I. I don't imagine the airlines are, are getting a good price from the government. But there are more pressing matters. There's, I mean, it's, it, the people that flew to January 6th, clearly, at this point, clearly, are the least of our problems. Yeah, I, I, f I feel like it's a, it's a reflection of, of, of Western world government at the moment. It's just a series of distractions that um, they're 
they're constantly going through rather than focusing on the real problem, which is which would solve everything, which is restoring real actual productivity growth within the economy. That basically solves crime and all these fucking issues. Because if people have loads of money and they're having a good time and good life and chill, what have they got to worry about? Uh, you know. Uh, but they get distracted with these, like in the UK, with this fucking stupid immigration thing that they, they're getting tied up with. And in America, they're getting sidetracked on this January 6th thing all the time. Rather than focusing on the real issues that actually affect people's real lives, like keeping 10,000 people out of the UK is, is not going to, like meaningly affect my life in basically any way well and, and spent, i would they've ask spent, they've already spent they've already spent 117 million on the program and not even shipped one person to rwanda so i feel like right now we need some more pragmatic people in politics that can just go i don't give a shit about any of this i'm just going to sort these few things out and we're going to do it really really well well and this is my sort of core argument against government you know at a base level if there wasn't a massive bloated federal government to issue plane tickets and debit cards and cell phones to all of these immigrants coming across the border and across the English Channel, would there be such an immigration problem? I mean, what is really the function of government today, aside from just transferring tax wealth to their, their, their mega donors and the corporations that they run. And then all, and now all of the immigrants that are, that are coming across the border. If these yeah, immigrants, stu stu stupid, like stupid one-term problems or, or stu stupid, like sort of like feel good fucking policies, like the energy crisis policy and this Rwanda policy where they want to ship, you know, all these asylum seekers to Rwanda. I mean, it's just stuff that, you know, if you look at the numbers, the hard numbers of this, there is no fucking way this is a good deal for the for the taxpayer. How is spending 117 million pounds on a scheme that takes people to Rwanda, and that that's already what they've spent? They've spent already, and, not, and they've not even shipped one person yet to Rwanda. And you're trying to tell me that's cheaper than just letting them in? That is not cheaper. No fucking way is it cheaper. No way. It'd be in no way. It'd be fucking cheaper just to put them all in hotels for a year. No, that would be no fucking kidding. cheaper. That would be fucking cheaper because because the 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 cost right now apparently is like seven million or something a month they're spending on fucking hotels. Well, fuck times that by twelve, it's still cheaper than one hundred seventeen fucking million that they're spending on just this Rwanda policy. And the same goes for Brexit. They spent billions on that Brexit shit, and we've still not seen any 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 serious upsides to that deal. Or any changes to legislation. And, you know, it's just, again, another distraction, another waste of taxpayers' money that we could have used to, I don't know, give to the NHS to hire some more doctors or reform planning so we can build more houses or build more infrastructure. The fucking M1 has yeah. potholes in it. That's our main fucking highway. And there, it constantly has problems. Or, I don't know, do, just do anything that's going to stimulate some way of growing this economy rather than all these like random things that just don't seem to do anything. Like we're piling all this money into green energy. And just the other day, I got a, I don't, I got a news thing saying that, oh, they're going to have to do like energy rationing up north because it's a bit cold. I'm thinking, wait a second. <laughs> Didn't we're they know the it was going to get G7? cold? <laughs> dude, it's insane, dude. We're in the G7 
15% of our energy comes from wind and other random bits and we're having a ration shit because uh, dude, I, I just the more I talk about it the more it fucks me off we could have taken that 117 million and put it into you know breaking ground on a new nuclear reactor uh, yeah it just it, makes me sad really it, it just further reinforces the idea that the purpose of government is to solve the problems that have been created by government. Yeah, for real. For All right. Real. And yeah, for real. <laughs> Visit Vox404.com. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe. Leave us a nice uh, rating and review, too, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, yes, please. Follow, uh, follow me at EarthVox on X, FKA Twitter. Follow my co-hosts at 404missing underscore link. And uh, I would like to cordially invite you to join our Discord server. All you have to do is send an email to therealearthvox at protonmail.com. Yeah, thanks for listening uh, this week. Really enjoyed this chat, actually. It was really good. Yeah, I feel like the last few episodes we've done have just been like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, celebrate too early, but I think they've been, you know, really high quality. And for that reason, I think you should go check out the next episode. Uh, the previous one we did, it was fantastic. And the previous ones that, I, that we were doing when I was in Europe, they were really, really high quality. And I'm looking forward to doing another one next week. We'll talk to you soon. 